Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Stories from Space Podcast, where your host, Matthew Williams, examines the history of human spaceflight, the breakthroughs that revolutionized our understanding of the universe and our place in it, and the brave individuals who work tirelessly to advance the frontiers of our understanding. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. The squabbles of nations on other worlds will soon become as distant to people living in space as the squabbles of ancient city-states are to us today. It could be the end of nationalism as we know it. The authors acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional unceded lands of the Lekwungen peoples. Welcome back to Stories from Space. I'm your host, Matt Williams. And today, part two of my interview with famed science communicator and publisher of the Cosmic Companion, James Maynard. I want to ask you, as a science communicator who's been just covering this stuff for so many years, what would you say are some of the biggest or, or most relevant news and developments lately. Now, Artemis 1, I would certainly agree that that was, that was a very, very relevant one. And I wanted to ask your opinion, too. Um, David Brin, famed writer, he had a controversial opinion, which was to say that, yes, that the SLS is going to be obsolete very soon and that this represents essentially a waste in resources, because as soon as the starship flies, it's going to be the most powerful rocket ever. And, well, I found myself disagreeing with this while respecting the points he raised, strongly disagreeing with this. But, uh, yeah, I wanted to get your take on it. It's like, well, the SLS, yes, it is using technology that has been uh, folded over from previous space programs. Yes, the starship will technically be more powerful when it's, once it's launching. And yes, NASA has contracted with SpaceX to provide the, the lunar landing for Artemis 3. So having said all that, is the Artemis program and the SLS, is this something that is worthwhile? Absolutely. And here's the deal, okay? I absolutely support the mission of SpaceX. I love the private developers, especially the ones coming up with incredibly interesting ideas. You know, there's one company that's uh, just figuring out how to fling satellites into orbit <laughs> without using rockets, which is pretty cool. But let's take a look at what SpaceX has accomplished so far. When you, when they, the furthest they have ever flown a human rated vessel is 535 kilometers up or about 360 miles. Okay, they achieved that during the Inspiration 4 mission on September 21st, uh, 2021. All right, that distance of 535 kilometers is 0.15% of the way to the moon. Mm -hmm. All right, yes, that is is basically one sixth of one percent of the way to the moon, the very same moon that NASA just did freaking loops around. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So now to me, I love some of the ideas. I love Starship. I actually have a big plaque here in my studio with a cool retro picture of, of Starship, but it is nothing compared to Artemis One. It what SpaceX is doing could provide some fabulous new technologies in the future. But to say we should shut down the Artemis program because of what SpaceX is doing is like saying, let's shut down Boeing and Airbus because some kid just built a really cool go-kart. <laughs> okay. Putting that very straight, very frankly. <laughs> And yeah, don't get me wrong. They, that go kart technology they could develop could, could have some great benefits in the future. But mm -hmm. as of right now, no. Yes, and I, I definitely think yeah, there's a lot of ideological nonsense uh, floating around there too about how oh the private sector can do all this. Uh, we should just contract out to them, let them do everything because yeah. Government agencies and, and, can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, SpaceX has brought down the price of lifting things to low Earth orbit dramatically. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's a fantastic advance. Let's take advantage of that. But moving beyond LEO, you know, Musk, yes. Musk can drop me a line when he reaches 1% of the weight of the moon with a human-rated craft. Mm -hmm. Yes. And while Musk was developing all this reasonable rocket technology, which is very exciting and very opening up new possibilities. Yeah, NASA was sending probes to the farthest reaches of the solar system. So right. let's, yeah, it's like, and let's... Beyond. Yes, let's yeah, keep now, things in perspective, people. Right, right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And ESA's doing fantastic work. Oh, uh, yeah. India, China, there's, there's a lot of really amazing things going on right now. And, and I'm really looking forward to the future future of space travel you know this is kind of interesting going back to carl sagan for a minute in cosmos he imagined a distant future where americans built spacecraft that went long distances carrying soviet designed or <laughs> russian designed craft that did not go as far but they could launch a whole bunch of them along the way so it was like one long line of a limb of a tree with several branches coming off of it as a way to explore explore the universe. And nowadays, of course, Russia has pretty effectively dropped out of the space exploration business with the exception of Luna 25 coming up. But the idea is there still that perhaps these, you know, conglomerations, these programs that bring together governments and private organizations can use a similar idea to explore explore the planets and beyond using this branching system with private industry making up the short hops, mm -hmm. equipment for the short hops. Yeah. Well, so would you say it's fair to say that the the new space industry, right, their role is... They're providing necessary support along the way, but the big, the big leaps are the ones that where NASA and ESA and the World Space Agencies come in. Right, right. That's yeah. the way I see it for the for the foreseeable future. And yes, well, that certainly that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's the real message of the new space age and something that uh, 
you know, these contractors certainly would agree with. It's like, no, we, we need those government contracts, right? We're yeah, not and, for, yeah. yeah and, and again, I mean, the, you know, NASA, yes, is a government organization. It can be bureaucratic, but also money is, a lot of that money is going towards supporting families and supporting people who work on these programs. And I may not have this number exactly right, but I remember reading the other day, believe that something like 400,000 people had a hand in building Artemis. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that to me is just just amazing. Yeah, and, and how many, you know, and how many of those people are going to go on to have kids that fall in love with science and, you know, become science communicators 30 years from now? <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I hope, uh, I hope a lot. <laughs> not I hope too, so as well. Not too many. We need, we need several of them to go into the STEM so that, you know, the science communicators have stuff to write about, but Absolutely. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see. So, and you mentioned Russia. So that, that too, yeah. I would argue is another really big issue right now. And that of course is, yeah, Russia withdrawing from agreements, other agencies terminating agreements of cooperation with them. And do you do you imagine that this is going to be a long-term trend that Roscosmos is going to be isolated and, and not doing much anymore? Or are you more optimistic? Do you think they'll they'll turn that around just as soon as the current crisis is over? Hmm. I think there's a couple things going on here. First, I you know, I try to go to prime when I research things, I try to go to primary sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily. So when I write about the Russian, you know, things going on with the with Roscosmos and the Russian space program, you know, I enjoy like being able to look at, you know, I can get these documents translated from Russian into English. Let's say Putin, you know, getting uh, Vladimir Putin getting getting updates about these things, and it is just so consistent when you read these records of conversations that he's had with Roscosmos uh, that he has zero vision for space. You know, they quite frequently, every couple paragraphs, they'll ask him, do you have any questions? Yet. Do you have any blah, 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 we're doing this, we want to do this, we want to do that. Do you have any questions? Yet. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just all the way down. So I think they're really suffering from a lack of interest in science at the very top. And so that is a major problem for them as long as Putin remains in power, which is probably going to be the rest of his life. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, fingers crossed that will be very long. And, so yeah. I think I think there's that problem. And um but I definitely have hope that one day you know, Roscosmos can bring can bring Russia back to the glory days of the Soviet space program when they launched the first man and then the first woman into space. You know, they they of course launched the first satellite. And what's interesting is, I mean, even in even the early space race, even when Russians made an advance, it inspired people in the U.S. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, I remember reading about Yuri Gagarin doing a world tour after he went to space, and he was loved and well received. And he himself, yeah, they said his smile caused a thaw in the Cold War because he was a very, 
very nice guy and rather had a very photogenic smile. And right. I've heard, I heard similar things about the Apollo astronauts. In fact, they visited uh, the Soviet Union too. Yes, they did. Give yes. talks, yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. Yeah, it is amazing. Space is a great unifier when, when in fact it's allowed to <laughs> to be used that way, right? Well, and now China as a rising space power, they've garnered a lot of attention. Do you think that going forward, there needs to be better cooperation between China and NASA and and other space agencies? I mean, ideally, yes. I am am in favor of everyone going to space. Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I want want NASA to succeed. I want the Chinese National Space Agency to succeed. I want the Indians, SpaceX and, and the smaller companies all to succeed. And I believe that is really the path to our future because these things are so big when you look at them. The, uh, you know, these habitats on the south, near the south pole of the moon, for instance, are going to be so complex both to build and to maintain that it's not going to be able to be done by one nation or one corporation or, you know, one mad developer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's going to have to be an amalgamation of different, of different governments and private organizations and NGOs coming together. And that I believe holds a surprising hope for the future. And that's because let's imagine we're 100 years from now, okay? We are 2122. And we now have 1,500, 2,500 people living on the face of Mars. All right? Seven year old girl lives there. Now, her great grandparents first came to the Red Planet, but neither she nor her parents have ever once stepped foot on the face of earth their their habitat was built by nasa there are shuttles that bring them food and water are space y the new uh, you know spacex whatever uh the air is supplied by the chinese the water by the russians and now there's some squabble on the face of the earth to whom are they going to owe the? To whom will she owe allegiance, or her parents? And the answer is no one. The squabbles of nations on other worlds will soon become as distant to people living in space as the squabbles of ancient city states are to us today. And it could be the end of nationalism as we know it. Oh, that is a very quotable quote right there. Thank you, feel free to quote. <laughs> well, I, absolutely, because yes, yeah, so that's that's one thing. Definitely, am fascinated by is if we're going to have multiple space agencies and nations exploring the moon and Mars and beyond, and, and establishing settlements there. Then, what's going to happen when the nations of Earth start to, or or in fact, will this be like another scramble for colonies, which will lead to conflict back home? right? Another age of imperialism. But I very much like the idea that the people who live there, well, for for starters, if this is being done within the confines of the Outer Space Treaty, and yeah, the people out there are going to have no interest in 
participating or inciting conflicts back home and will most likely say, you know, figure it out amongst yourselves if and when such conflicts happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because it, it's not at all like colonies overseas where right. yeah, getting there is quick and easy. Like exactly. And living yeah. there is quick and easy. If, you know, a yeah. new volcanic uh, island erupted, you know, yes. in, in the eastern in the eastern Atlantic. Sure. Every every country, every country with a military would probably be there in a week trying to trying to claim the area. Yes. Right? <laughs> but that's because living on islands is easy. Living mm-hmm. in space is hard and yes. no one can do it alone. Yes, and getting there. <laughs> well, imagine if you will, the people of Mars are saying we we're on strike. We're not sending home any any rare earth metals until until we uh, get a, a say so in what's going on around here. Also, we don't like the way you guys are fighting and and how that's affecting us. It's like, well, we're sending in the Marines to take control of the colony. It's like, oh, okay, well, we're not going to be at opposition for another twelve months, and then it's going to take them six months to get here. So. Yeah, good luck. See you in 18 months. <laughs> We're going to dig trenches and be ready for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, not only that, but think about it. all It's not just one colony, it's or one habitation, it's one settlement. Other settlements as well are going to be maintained by different combinations of the same organizations and nations. So, you know, you can't say if the U.S. were to try to say, you know, oh, we're going to eventually send some Marines over to take over Colony Alpha from the from the Soviets. You know, the Soviets st- or the Russians still have a dozen or hundred other settlements in which they are participating. And they could make things really bad for the U.S. really quick. Yeah. And it's, it's infrastructure. That's the thing, okay? Infrastructure is, as a historian, you know that infrastructure is huge in war. Even the greatest threat that the what so-called Western world has had was the potential takeover by Nazi Germany in the mm-hmm. 1940s. Okay, and even Adolf Hitler, with the greatest military, one of the greatest militaries in history, was not able to take over an island 26 miles away from occupied France. And why yes. couldn't he do it? I've gone through that channel before, okay, the English channel. I've, you know, be, you know, we can do it in you know half an hour through the channel now. But he didn't. Even then, he did not have the infrastructure to move enough people and enough supplies, uh, twenty six miles, yeah, over water to take over a, a country much smaller than those he had taken over previously. Mm-hmm. And the reason is infrastructure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't move this stuff. You have to move huge amounts of stuff constantly and maintain it, food and water. Yeah. You know, all the supplies. It's why, it's why Napoleon ran out in, in Russia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, just yeah. he just couldn't run his supply lines long enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and and that's what's gonna prevent one person or one nation from from taking from taking over in settlements in space. Yes. And I, I point out too, yeah, here on Earth, where the, the geographical barriers were involved, right? Like the English Channel, and you try to move stuff across there, meanwhile they're shooting at you the whole time. Right. Yeah. It's like in space, it's much worse. 
not only do you have to travel much, much further through a much more hostile boundary, just the vacuum of space, but yeah, you're, you are still being shot at there. Radiation, cosmic rays, and mm-hmm. yep, by the time you get there, it's like, well, we can't breathe here without being inside a settlement or without pressure suits and so forth. So the infrastructure is way more important out there. You can't right. even breathe or take a sip of water there. So you not exactly. only need to bring all that with you, you need to have an atmosphere with you that doesn't get breached. Yeah, And it said, this, this story is probably apocryphal, but she never denied it. But it said <laughs> that the anthropologist Margaret Mead identified the earliest existence of civilization as being a, a femur bone, which was healed. All right. Oh. Meaning now this is an injury that normally would kill animals or primitive hom- hominids in the wild. But because it was healed, that meant that the person was cared for by others, that they were provided for long enough so that they could recover and get back to hunting and foraging and what have you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is what that is. And when we get into space, all of us are going to have a proverbial broken femur. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, yeah, we will not, we will not survive without a really robust support system. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's why I believe moving into space is going to be part of this huge shift, this huge nexus happening in the next 20, 30, 40 years. And it's just going to change the human race forever. Well, yeah, in fact, a lot has been said about going to space and the overview effect and how that alters the shift in consciousness. But yes, it has been said, but I don't think it's been like really, really properly articulated yet that well, going to space also, it, it'll make honest people out of anyone who does go because it's like out here, you can't just look out for yourself. It's impossible. You have to, there has to be support and yeah, there is no survival or success without people relying on each other. And I think that that's, I mean, we do see that here on Earth with people who are in remote communities or highly dangerous places. Yeah, places where life is just harder than it is in a major city or a place where there's tons of infrastructure. And so, yeah, the people look out for each other. It's just what they're used to. Absolutely. Yeah. Space, I think, will. That That is a very good point. I hope to hear more thinking like that making the rounds soon. <laughs> it's like, yeah, space is the ultimate challenge and it will strip people down to their unselfish core yeah i mean and not in an idealistic way you know Mm. i'm pretty sure jerks are going to be around with us for the for as long as our species is around but Mm -hmm. as a whole as as a paradigm for for society i think we're going to be moving a lot more in that direction yes and here's, here's something interesting. You talk about cities. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't have these numbers right in front of me, but something like half of people in the world live in cities right now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And within 20 years, that number's going to go up to, I believe, like 67%, 68%, something like that. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. 
And that's going to include something like 85 or 90% of people living in the U.S. will be mm-hmm. living in cities. And cities, as we've seen, are a, do change the way society functions because we learned that we have to depend on people in order to live, in order to get things done and, and have a functioning society. And it's... It's really a you know a net benefit to people mm-hmm. to be to be cooperating with others and to live within these interconnected cities and city-like environments that we're going to find in space habitats of the future. Absolutely. Well, you know, I feel we could talk forever about the issues here, but in fact, there are several more I could think of, but I think we definitely tackled the biggest ones there. So, my last question for you will be, as hinted earlier. You have been doing this a, a while and there have been lessons that you learned along the way. Any that you care to share? Any particularly uh, interesting ones? I think, I think honestly enough to how interesting this is, but I guess my biggest thing is, you know, if you can try to do what you love, mm. you know, I mean, I am, I realize how fortunate I am to be able to, to follow my life's dream of, you know, of spreading science education to everyone and breaking down barriers to education and hopefully pushing the, pushing our species towards, toward the nexus, toward our big next step in evolution. And, you know, and there are going to be days I've had plenty of days that, you know, I just you know, suffered from very real imposter syndrome. You know, fear that what I was doing wasn't good enough or I wasn't good enough to to be doing what I'm doing, you know. And, and the answer is, if you're doing your best and you're trying to make a difference, a positive change in the world, you're doing a good thing and just really keep at it and things are going to change things are going to go ways that you don't expect and just biggest advice i can give just believe in yourself and believe in your mission in life because it's important to you it's probably important to others as well wow yes and well I, I've heard this now from many science communicators, and it totally resonated with me to the point where I realized that I think this is something that we all share, is that this idea that on the one hand, you know, we're doing this because we love it, and that is, yes, the best thing you could hope for from uh, from your life's work, that you actually doing something you enjoy, because then, yeah, it doesn't feel like work, and you can only get better at it, and and of course, the pervasive feelings of, oh, I don't belong here. Other These other people are better at this than I am. And it's like, well, every, they're all thinking that. So either everyone's correct or everyone's wrong. Well, that's very encouraging, too. And I, I, I myself found it so encouraging to hear people like Dr. Cyan Proctor, who flew mm-hmm. aboard yeah. Inspiration4. She yeah. said she suffered from that all her life. And and I heard that NASA scientists and people that we would consider to be celebrities in space and aerospace and commercial space have said the same thing. And I thought, wow, I saw that as very encouraging. I'm sure you've you found that too. It's that this is something that other people who, who do what you're doing are also 
have also struggled with that? Oh, absolutely. I've, I've heard the story so many times. It's, it's, uh, in, but uh, I think it's, I think it's vital to believe in yourself and just try to make a change in the world if you can. And, and I realize not everyone can, but if you can, <laughs> if you can do it, do it. Believe in yourself, you know? Yes. Do what you love and the money will follow. Sooner or later, right? <laughs> At least the happiness will follow. <laughs> the money yeah, may yes. come in third or fourth after that. Yeah, um, you, can't, you, you can't quite maybe say eventually it'll follow. <laughs> you, you might want to give it a time and keep your day job in the meantime. Please. Yeah, well, everyone has different life circumstances, you know. Mm-hmm. Eat, eating is nice. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, Got to keep food on the table in the meantime. But I was going to say, you know, I'd love to just, you know, see people come and take a look at what I'm doing at thecosmiccompanion.com as well as thecosmiccompanion.net and put out a weekly show with interviews with scientists, authors, and developers from around the globe and fun, friendly interviews. The show is occasionally humorous. And, you know, we also have a 3D environment with a lunar virtual lunar base you can play around in and and if you want to get the show every week sign up go to the cosmiccompanion.com sign up for the newsletter and i'll send you the show every week yes a highly rated news show folks and trusted news source and in terms of your books there's the light of alexandria which is yeah about science in the ancient world and you have articles featured in tech times yeah probably mm-hmm. written i've written thousands of science articles in my time for different organizations. Right now, I am concentrating so much on bringing science education to everyone. It's my primary focus. And, you know, we have a a pretty, pretty intricate lunar base and media room and now a lava planet you can walk around in free space in uh, 3d space and learn about learn about geology and exoplanets and lunar research and all that sort of thing and you can get to that through the cosmic companion dot net or it's built in second life if you already have an avatar i can uh, just go into second life and search for the cosmic companion you'll find it i'm really been really trying to do now is to use this newest technology, these newest technologies of 3D design, the metaverse, artificial intelligence, all merging them together in a way that's hopefully going to bring science education to as many people as possible and tear down barriers to education, things that are preventing people from learning and loving science. Because mm-hmm. I want to spread the light of science to everyone. Absolutely. Probably one of the best things we can do right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was a real treat, and I hope we get to talk again. Well, we'll, I, we'll, we'll see. I enjoyed this talk so much, Matt. It was it was absolutely fabulous talking with yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, you too. I'm really glad your publicist put us in touch. Yeah, she's amazing. She's mm-hmm. amazing. Shout out to Abby. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, Abby, for making contact, yes. So, a reminder to all my listeners, please check out the Cosmic Companion and sign up for its newsletter. In the meantime, I'm Matt Williams. This has been Stories from Space. Tune in next time. Hopefully, we can have James back again. That'd be 
Grandpa. I'd love to come back on. It's fabulous talking with Matt. Clear skies to everyone out there. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Stories from Space podcast with Matthew Williams. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.